The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The brain is our personal tool to keep us at our best and realize self-esteem. The mind, body, and immune system work together to help us make the right choices and to reach our purpose and potential. Welcome to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Lindsay and her guests are the go-to experts when it comes to relationships, sexuality, parenting, and wellness. We're here to enlighten and inform you. Now, here is your host, Lindsay Levinson. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson. I'm your host here at Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. And let me welcome you. Let me welcome you to what is about to be a fantastic show. We have a fantastic guest. And you know what? Today's going to be a really deep and meaningful start of a two-part series. I thank you for choosing this show. I always thank you for your support and for following us as you do on Facebook and Twitter, and Google+, and my website, qualityforlifecoaching.com. I will just make sure you have those addresses in case you don't have them for some reason. So Facebook's Illuminating Now. Twitter is at sign Illuminating Now. And Quality for Life Coaching, that's four words, qualityforlifecoaching.com. And there's so much that's happening on all of these sites right now, and they've all either had a remake or a do-over or some activity that's been launched onto them. If you take a look, you'll see, and it's really exciting what's happening with the growth. So please do take a look and find out if there's anything I can help you with. I certainly would love to on my own site, but you can certainly write at any of these places and let me know if you'd like to speak with me personally and... I'm glad to do a complimentary session. So do, do check that out. We are over 20,000 strong in listeners, and we keep building something. And, and you should feel very proud of that. You are the listeners. I certainly can't build anything but one person. I'm just me. You, the listeners, have built something, a place where we can go and listen and learn and contribute and grow. So it's really great. And so you can also look on the web and Google anything you want in connection to the show because you're going to find out there's lots of press releases that have been going out. We have had many because there's lots to talk about. So remember, you want a complimentary session with me, I can be on Skype, I can be on phone, we can do it in person, and I would love to connect with you on anything you might have on your mind. And I want to talk to you about this man that you are about to meet, Dr. Stephen Farber. So it's an exciting time. Let me read you a little bit about him. Stephen H. Farber, MD. He received a bachelor's degree in English from Rutgers College before attending medical school. And after receiving his medical degree, he completed an internal medicine residency program and cardiology fellowship at the Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. That's, of course, Houston, Texas in 83. 
Dr. Farber specialized in the diagnosis and treatment of cardiovascular diseases for over 25 years. Practiced medicine in Conroe and the Woodlands, Texas. He founded the heart of Montgomery County. So he founded this, and it's a nonprofit organization whose mission was to improve access to affordable health care for the community's indigent and uninsured population. And so much more that this nonprofit stood for, and he can elaborate a little bit on that. Before publishing the book, As Sick as Our Secrets, in 2012, Dr. Farber wrote Behind the White Coat, which is a personal memoir, which was published in 2003, and he co-authored Stepping Stones to Success with Deepak Chopra and Jack Canfield in 2011. So how great is that? Dr. Farber recently received a master's degree in healthcare administration from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He currently resides in the Woodlands, Texas, and is looking forward to the hospitalist position that he has lined up and will be starting very shortly. In April in 2014, he was certified. He became a certified instructor from the Deepak Chopra Center in meditation. That is not an easy thing to do if you know about that center. So understand that he was very dedicated and diligent in his ability to commit to receiving this certification. And that's because of his involvement and interest now in integrative health and consciousness-based healing, which I think is where we're headed. I think this is part of a shift that this world is starting to look at. Recently, the New York Times bestselling author, Marianne Williamson, said about Stephen Farber's book, As Sick as Our Secrets, she said the following, As Sick as Our Secrets is the candid and compelling story of a doctor's spiritual journey through the torment of addiction into the light and recovery. It's written from the heart, and it is an inspiration to everyone who has experienced the deepest, darkest night and is opening their eyes to the coming of a new dawn. Wow. So you got to love that. I really appreciated that quote because I have read the book and how fitted. So here's the thing. Here's the thing that I'd like to share with you is because I, I was called to know Dr. Stephen Farber from listening to him on a different show. And then I started to Google him and learn a lot about him. I wrote him an email back in February, just 10 days after I ever started this show and I wanted to get to know him. I wasn't sure whether it would be about the show or not. I just really had tremendous respect in what I was learning. I have since then grown to respect him tremendously. I've learned about him. We've become friends. His book is now one that I use and refer to in my coaching practice. Many of my clients have read it, have bought it. It is featured on my website. It's the only book that I recommend and feature on my website. And it has a direct button. So if you go to Quality for Life Coaching... You can find the button, push it, and you're right at Amazon ready to buy his book. And I really want to add and make sure you know, I don't get anything from this, and I don't want anything from it. It's not anything to do with me. I refer and recommend this book due to how strongly I believe in it, how much I love it, and I would never put a book on that I didn't believe that every single solitary person who might just hit that button is going to love this book. So I do hope that you get yourself over there and... Take a chance and buy that book. So having said that, I want to say welcome to you, Steve. I so appreciate you taking the time to be here for this two-part series, which is taking your time for two weeks in a row to, to be with us. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me on board, Lindsay. I appreciate your, your letting me be on your show. I've always enjoyed listening to you. 
Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're the lucky ones, that's for sure. And I really want to get into your story. There's so many specifics, but first I, I want to read some answers, actually, because we ran a question, and it was amongst our listeners, our Facebook followers, and it was, do secrets cause addictions? Do addictions cause secrets? And so I, what I want to do is just kind of read through these, and then I'll check in with you afterward, and then we will launch into your story. So what I want to do is just go through these. Ron Sidwell. He said, addictions definitely breed secrets, but I can't imagine how secrets could cause an addiction unless it is the form of an impulse to act out as a defense mechanism and unresolved motivators, which appear to be soothed or escaped by acting out. The, it, the only way is to thrive as a secret, but once exposed, their proactive aspect is lost. Very insightful, Ron. I think that is exactly the point. Carolyn Nettle said, yes. Yes, and they seem to be what causes the addict so much shame. So often it can be hard to get them to reveal the secrets. Also, there's the excitement of something that I'm not supposed to be doing. And then this can lead to the addictive nature of wanting what I cannot have. So sneaking around to get it. Thank you, Carolyn. Justin Breedlove. He said secrets and addictions work together. Sometimes secrets make things more appealing or addicting. Sometimes addictions create secrets. Absolutely. Right on, Justin. Janice Lady Style P said, I really don't think secrets cause addictions, but addictions may cause secrets. Fair enough. Liz Hall, I liked your answer, thought it was quite insightful. She said, I think it depends on the secret. If it is a destructive secret, it can lead to addiction and more secrets, which can lead you to illness. Secrets are insidious and breed more secrets, lies, and negativity. Get that yuck out of you and move on to a happier addiction-free life. That, that is what we all wish for. Matthew Hassan said, it looks like it'll be an interesting show. So good. I'm glad you think this is an interesting topic because I hope that we all start taking some interest in this topic. Leanne Montagni said, naturally secrets can cause addiction. The first one who is keeping or being secretive is then set aside living with heavy secrets because they are never dealt with. And this may only leave the person with the illusion to escape into their own space created by some addictions, maybe alcohol, drugs, behavioral problems. Thank you. Very insightful. Red Boating said, I think secrets and addictions are really two separate things, just that can intertwine to cause negative results given certain contexts. But secrets themselves are just things one person doesn't tell another. If there are good intentions by keeping secrets, then that's just another matter. Good point. That might be true. Percy Lipinski said, that's a tough question there. <laughs> it is a tough question, Percy. I so agree with you. This is just tough subject matter. Moises Lopez said, the question is the kind, like the one about the chicken or the egg. I would say that not, that not all, but some secrets can cause addictions. But in the same token, not all addictions cause us to be secretive. Otherwise, we wouldn't have so many all-you-can-eat buffets. I would say that the addictions with the bigger social taboos are the ones that are more likely to drive people to secrecy. So those are what some of our listeners had to say. I think that those are all very insightful, whether they all agree or not. They all had something very valuable to say, and I really appreciate that. Don't you think those were 
pretty relevant and good contributions, Steve? Oh, I think they are. I mean, you have some incredibly good answers to those questions um, out there. And, you know, I think the points that were made were really were really valid. Uh, you know, first of all, it is a chicken or egg situation, really, as to which comes first, the addictions or the secrets. And I, my, my belief from my own personal experience is that it is a cycle that's very hard to break because one thing does lead to another. The more secrets you have, I think they're more, you're more likely to become addicted to a variety of things that will help you hide those secrets even from yourself. It's not necessarily hiding things from other people. It's also hiding things from yourself. You don't have to think about them. Um, but, you know, I think the problem with secrets, you know, there are all kinds of secrets, and that's one of the points that was brought out very very well in those answers. Uh, there's There are secrets that are... Uh, ones that you think about yourself, you may just not want to tell other people. We all have secrets, uh, you know, things that we just feel may be nobody else's business, for example. And then there are secrets that will leave us vulnerable if they uh, come out to vulnerable to judgmentalism, for example, um, or feelings from other people that could reflect negatively uh, upon ourselves, uh, or things that could hurt other people if they were to be divulged. Um, and a lot of secrets just don't come out because of fear. And I think that's that's really a motivating factor for uh, for secrets in general. In my own particular case, I think it was it was fear. There are a lot of feelings internally from keeping secrets. And the more you try to keep secrets, from, they're generally, you know, in, in the situations um, where they can lead to problems and fears, you feel worse about yourself. You know, the, and the title of my book really... Uh, I think emphasizes that point is that we are as sick as our secrets. The more secrets that we keep inside of ourselves, uh, generally we could become sicker emotionally and mentally because of that. Right. And I think I, Moises Lopez said, you know, brought that in there. The bigger the social taboos are the ones that are more likely to drive people to secrecy. So I think that's really true what you're saying about judgment. And so let's roll back tape a little bit. Let's go back to the beginning I know that for you. I mean, because this is a book, and and we certainly can't go chapter by chapter or even make people understand the whole book, but I want to put down some context and some structure because today, you know, we're going to talk about addiction and secrecy and depression and overachieving and stigma and judgment and taboo and, and these different things. But let's begin where, you know, at least as best as we can get our arms around, you were sexually molested. So this was something that happened to you that, like so very many people, this happened to you at 13, but what when I was saying was so very many people, if this happens at any age, I don't really care when, whether you're 2 or you're 25, I mean, it, when it happens, it becomes something that you're sort of mortified within yourself and you take guilt or you take shame or blame or something or it's just something you don't have any reason or desire to share. It's not something pleasant. So it becomes something you put inside yourself and you lock it up and it's your secret and you go, you start going through life. But then to cope, addiction is a way to numb that pain or maybe even a defense mechanism to not look at that pain. You know, I mean, it may, in some cases people are numbing it. In other cases, like overachievement, that may be a way not to look at it because you're busy and you're looking at your accomplishments and people are giving you kudos. So tell me, is that, you know, is that after that happened to you, 
is that when your addictions began and, and did they take different forms? You know, were they morphing into different kinds of addictions or did you just start drinking at 13 and, you know, or, or choosing a drug or, do, you know, what did you do when you wanted to start looking a different way besides what that secret was for you? Yeah, first of all, I think that um, when I was sexually molested uh, when I was 13, was that was back in the 60s. And uh, at that point in time, it was really, there was not the uh, psychiatric and psychological uh, capabilities that we have now as far as people you could reach out to and go get help. Um, I was really, it was something that I kept inside when this happened. I was sexually molested by a friend who I felt was a close friend at the time. And it really totally caught me off guard. And I think that um, it took me a long time after that to, I mean, to what I tried to do was protect myself uh, from even thinking about it. It left me with feelings of really low self-worth and feelings that there was something wrong with me inside that led to this or that I was somehow at fault for this in some way, shape, or form. It made me feel really bad about who I was. At the time, and I didn't tell anybody about it until uh, my family, my parents, uh, both passed away, not really knowing about this, and um, didn't even tell the people closest to me. Um, partly because, again, I just didn't trust other people, and I did, it was something I decided I buried in my subconscious, and I did everything I could not to think about it. Uh, and that led to a variety of addictions uh, that, at the time, I didn't think were addictions, which uh, would start out initially. Probably my first addiction was to work. Um, I became an extremely hard worker, motivated to excel at school. You know, started in college, uh, and I when I decided to become a doctor. And uh, getting to medical school is hard enough anyhow, but I just totally drowned myself in my work and um, had to accomplish things that were, I set goals for myself, which were uh, somewhat unrealistic when I think back. And I had to be the best in my class. I had to make the honor roll or Phi Beta Kappa or honor societies and things like that. And I didn't really take the time to expand myself. I was so drowned in my work, I didn't take time to expand myself socially or do other things that normal people do in college, which is to have a social life and to expand yourself in that direction. So I became really channeled, really unidirectional, one-dimensional person. And this continued through medical school. You know, I continued to drown myself in my work. And I mean, I, I uh, judged myself by what other people thought about me. And if I was successful and other people recognized that, then I felt better about myself. Um, but I labeled myself through a lot of my early life as a success or a failure. And the judgment was based upon success in other people's eyes. I was looking constantly looking outside, outside myself for validation. And that in and of itself is an addiction. Uh, needing validation outside of yourself leads you to doing a lot of things that um, and a lot of activities that will, you know, like, for example, working extremely hard and drowning yourself in your work, um, which I think is pretty common addiction in our society in general, uh, can really lead to a lot of other problems uh, in life. But, you know, initially that was, that was my first addiction, and uh, over time it's such an insidious process that it led to other things. I started drinking more. I started, um, you know, doing things to numb myself to the, all the anxiety. When you're trying to be perfect, it's very difficult. You know, 
And uh, you never achieve that part. You set the bar so high that you're never good enough even for yourself. And at times when I was never able to achieve those, you know, that highest state of perfection, I, and I started feeling bad about myself, I'd start drinking. And then back in, med- back in uh, medical school, I was, uh, started drinking. Uh, and, again, that was insidious at that point in time, too. I, I was kind of going with the crowd to some extent like a lot of people do at that age, but it got, it got worse for a period of time. And, um, again, this, and it spiraled, you know, over the years uh, from being socially acceptable addictions to socially less acceptable addictions over a period of time. But it all started from that initial, I believe, when I was 13 year old, that initial uh, situation uh, where I was sexually traumatized, and I think that never my uh, psyche never really recovered from that. And keeping it a secret inside, not being afraid to tell other people, and burying it in my subconscious led me to do a variety of things that were that basically resulted in addictive behaviors. Yeah, and I think that um, you said a really a few, <clears throat> excuse me, a few key things here. So number one. Everything unto itself without the secret would be hard. Like there are people who try to be perfect and you you can't be perfect. There is no perfection and you try to be the best and but there's always a better. There's always one more better best. And so those things without a secret. But with that secret, that secret balanced you down. In other words, that's that secret is a conflict that is telling you that you're not living authentically because there's something others don't know about you. And, and with that comes shame and guilt, or you would be sharing. So you really are fighting a lost cause. You could achieve a Nobel Prize and no, nobody's ever achieved this, or I'm the one who came up with it. I mean, it could be the greatest accomplishment ever. And you can't love yourself when there's this other side of yourself that only you know. So so I think that that's really critical for the listeners to understand that when you keep a secret and it is pushed away, but just enough that you are very aware of it, it hinders your ability to really, it's like running in slow motion or taking 10 steps forward, you know, five steps back. You're really going nowhere because this thing is like a bag of bricks weighing you down. It's just that others can't see it. So it makes you feel all the more ashamed of your accomplishments, because as you get them and get the accolades, you also have your inside knowledge that this is also phony because if they only knew. And so I think that's part of it. And also you talk about socially acceptable versus not acceptable. So what would the difference be? What I mean, I get school and work are acceptable. I mean, people think that's fantastic. Oh, straight A's or you got through med school or you passed this. But in, in, you know, drinking, did that move into drugs? And, you know, is, is there some juncture where you can say as a doctor, this becomes socially unacceptable? Well, I think that there's a, uh, you know, a fine line there between what's socially acceptable or actually even legal and what is not socially acceptable. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, and medicine, I mean, as a physician, being a workaholic is not just accepted, it's, it's actually rewarded. Um, people experience really like seeing their doctors in the hospital late at night. They, they, you know, your peers uh, really look up to you for being a hard worker. And it's, ex- it's expected, you know, you go 36 hours without sleep. And, and that's just the culture of, of medicine. And, and a lot of professionals, you know, not just in medicine, but a lot of professional people have to work very, very hard in their lives. Uh, but that is a very sociably acceptable uh, uh, addiction. Uh, drinking, uh, you know, it depends on the amount you drink. I think that, uh, you know, if you could 
considered to be, you know, basically it's a very sociably acceptable thing to, to take people out for business lunches, for example, and drink quite a bit at that. Uh, and a lot of alcoholics, you know, uh, are, you know, start with their business lunches, you know, where they take, you know, their clients out for business. And, uh, you know, so that, that is another example of something that is socially acceptable within their profession, but leads to much, much greater, greater problems. Um, you know, and I think one of the points I'd like to bring out is that, you know, all of these behaviors that lead into addictions of variety of forms really attempt to fill a hole that's not, you know, that's you're never going to fill. You know, and in my case, I realized that I had an empty hole. That no matter what I did, uh, I never, I never could do enough of it, you know, to fill that. No matter what I did, and I think my secrets really were the facade of, you know, even though they were secrets, I think they were the cover story. Let's put it that way for low self-esteem and shame and guilt and uh, even self-loathing. You know, that can result oh, of course. in things that happen, you know, in your life. Right. And I know that we do have to go to break in a minute, but ultimately you you started taking the samples of the Xanax that were in your office. And that's and, and they say that's not addictive, but it is. So that becomes something that is, you know, it's hard. There's a hard it's hard to navigate your way out of that and, and find your way home because Xanax is supposed to be something that calms you down. But then. You're stressed out on a regular basis from work, yes, but I still say you're stressed out based on what you're carrying as a bag of bricks inside. So, of course, you need more to calm yourself down. Of course, that feels good to take the edge off, but then you're sort of stuck with it and stuck on it, which ultimately can cost you a lot, including your medical license. So that is, as again, I, I know we do have to take a break, but I want, I want to talk about, I want to move into our society and what we expect of people and, and, you know, how judgmental we are about these things rather than looking at the reality of what the real situations are for people. So, um, you know, I, I, I guess I'll leave it at that because I, want, I don't want to cut you short on a sentence and I certainly didn't want to speak your story, but that, that is somewhere that you did arrive to and I'm sure so many other things too to share with us. But let's just say for now that we're on Illuminating Now. It is Lindsay's Life Secrets. I am your host, Lindsay Levinson, and we are here with Dr. Stephen Farber. And, you know, we're talking about secrets. We're talking about addictions. We're talking about, I mean, we haven't yet, but we're going to talk about de- depression and, and anxiety and, and, and stress and coping mechanisms, which can include overachievement, which puts you in a circle of having a reach your own bar, which is never high enough because you don't, as Steve mentioned, you don't love yourself. So you can never quite reach a bar if you have self-loathing going on. So it's all very interesting, but we need to really start taking a look at this and understand it rather than just judge it and condemn it. So we will be right back. Please stay tuned. We have some fabulous information for you and a lot of disclosures that you're going to want to hear. So please tune in and we'll be right back. Museums are great places to work and wonderful places to visit. But are they essential? How can we improve our museum practice so that museums remain vital and essential players in society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert, where each week we'll discuss timely and topical issues of concern to the museum community. 
Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace to speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune in to Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, The Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You are tuned in to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. To connect with Lindsay or her guest, please call in to the show at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to lindsay244 at sbcglobal.net. That's L-I-N-Z-I-244 at sbcglobal.net. Now, back to Illuminating Now. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson. I am your host, and we are back. And we're back here at Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. And we're with Dr. Stephen Barber, our guest, who we are so lucky to have because we're doing a two-part series. This is part one. So lots of good stuff. First of all, we get part two of this show, and then we get him next week for another show. And there's a very distinct purpose for having two shows. Our first show is to really talk about his story his book, As Sick as Our Secrets, which, by the way, can be found on Amazon or Google Dr. Stephen Farber. Or if you want to make it easy, you can also go to Quality for Life Coaching 
because there's just a button that takes you straight to the Amazon site to buy his book. And I hope that you do. It is a phenomenal book and very moving. And my clients, every one of them, and even a couple friends who have gotten the benefit to read it, um, have just absolutely loved it. We're talking about addiction. We're talking about secrets. We're talking about why we're forced to keep secrets. What is going on in our society that creates the fact that we end up with a secret? In Stephen's case, it's molestation. How many of us have had that happen? But what other things happen to us? And we put it inside. We don't like ourselves, maybe because of that, the actual act of something that happened, or maybe just because we have a secret and we just don't want to tell anybody. Maybe it's our sexuality. Maybe it's something that we you know, just can't bring ourselves to tell people about. But then we're judged. Okay, so, so you know, Dr. Stephen Farber comes to us today to talk about this subject, what's going on in our society, what is addiction, what is depression, are these just, you know, is addiction that we're lazy and foolish and stupid and we just kind of want to, you know, pop a pill or drink a drink or work all night long or do something to help us not think? So we're just kind of being stupid. And is depression just because we can't appreciate the good? We really can't count our blessings. We're too dense to realize we have a good life. <laughs> I'm going to say, oh, my gosh, not at all. No way. But I'm more interested in what Stephen has to say. So can you talk to us? What's your take on addiction? What's your take on depression? What's your take on some of this stuff, Steve? I think there's a, you know, a lot of people who uh, become addicts are, have dual diagnoses. And by that I mean have uh, addiction problems with depression, possibly bipolar illness or other, other problems, post-traumatic stress syndrome. And that's well seen in, for example, our veterans that come back, you know, especially the ones that came back from Vietnam who suffered from post-traumatic stress syndrome and um, became addicted to a variety of things and uh, fill up the Veterans Hospital wards uh, with, with those problems, alcoholism and addiction problems. So there, there's a very, really a huge correlation between mental illness and, and addiction, and it's a vicious cycle that you have to break uh, in order to treat truly treat your addictions. You have to get to the bottom of part of what's, crea- of what's creating it. And I think that, it, it, again, with, if you remain addicted to things, you know, it also leads to more depression. So it is a vicious cycle that has to be broken. And the only way to do that is to really is to deal with both problems at the same time. And, um, and hopefully successfully, a lot of times that requires going into a rehab facility or, or going to get help and reaching out for help. Uh, in my own particular situation, I found that um, over the course of time uh, that uh, I became more and more depressed. And um, depression is pretty common in the general population. I think a lot of people don't understand that psychiatric illness. It's an illness. It's a disease. Depression is disease. It's not something that indicates weakness or a problem within a person's psyche. And I think our society needs to understand that that it's both addiction and um, mental illness are diseases. And just like you know, diabetes is, for example, if you don't take your insulin shot, you're, you're going to run into trouble. And the same thing really with addiction. If you don't deal with it on a daily basis, you're going to run into trouble with it, and, and, and it'll go out of control. So it is something that you have to do with depression and addiction on a day-to-day basis, sometimes even on an hour-to-hour basis. And... Uh, it, it, but a lot of our, most of our society 
does not understand the connection between depression and, and you know, emotional illness and physical illness or, you know, between emotional illness and, and addiction and that mind-body connection. You know, a good example of that, Lindsay, is, um, you know, if you look at the, just look at insurance reimbursements, uh, you know, I, I got, I, I went for psychiatric help for a number of years to deal with depression and insurance policies didn't cover that, and um, or you know, any kind of psychiatric uh, help. And it, it really wasn't until recently that, uh, and the new healthcare laws are, are forcing psychiatric care to be treated on the same level as 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 physical, physical illness. But that's just a good example of how uh, our society just didn't realize that, or didn't want to really look at it in the same way. That kind of ostracized uh, people with psychiatric illness, and, and even to the point of not reimbursing it medically, or, or just uh, that's just one example. For uh, but ostracizing people uh, with um, you know mental illness and feeling that they're substandard or that they're you know uh, there's something really just wrong with them with uh, their ability to control their lives and make good decisions and that there's just a, a weakness, that it's a weakness issue. And that's really far from the case. I think it is far from the case. And I really, really appreciate you bringing up the variety of, you know, branches on this tree because it's really very meaningful to do so. I think there there's so many things going through my mind, beginning back with secrets that, you know, I'll, I'll call it socially unacceptable, but anything we do, a secret that we tell might be unacceptable. The fact that we might be engaging in something, we don't know how to get out of it, but it's unacceptable. And maybe the secret becomes the addiction. But we, you know, we, we as a society, we just sort of stand on the top, sort of that, you know, that, that glass house with the white gloves and sort of hand down, well, then don't, you know, don't do that. Then quit that. If you care that you're a doctor, you work so hard to be a doctor, why in the world would you take the chance to lose your license? As if this is a choice, as, as if a person consciously chooses. This is desperate need. And if you bring up, well, you had self-loathing and it's hard to find self-love, so you had a void and people think, well... Then go and, you know, find a reason to love yourself, get a hobby, get a this. It's, it's so much bigger than that. It's a true legitimate illness. Just like, again, if you broke your arm and somebody put, set it and put it in the cast and forgot to put a pin in. I mean, you'd have a void. Your arm would never heal right and you'd be sad all the time and your arm wouldn't work and you wouldn't be going back to your softball league or your sports and people would be judging, you know, why can't you play anymore? I thought you got your arm fixed. So, I mean, a void is a void that truly has a lot to do. It could be a chemical imbalance, but it can be situational, but it doesn't mean it doesn't break down our brain. So I, I really want to bring that up. And when you talk about the medical world, yeah, just the whole concept of pre-existing conditions. What, to me, I'll be bold and say out to the world, how ridiculous, how absolutely ridiculous pre-existing conditions. You have depression, you have bipolar, you, you have these things. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't insure you. I mean, these people, what kind of message do you send? If you're depressed, go home. I, I can't really insure you. You're, not, you're on that list of people that we don't help. That we don't help. So I think that this, is that circle that you talk about where then you feel alone and lonely and isolated. And that is where you go to either numb the pain or find your own solution of which neither can lead you somewhere good. 
So I think that whether it's rehab, but I always say it begins with talking. It begins with being able to say to somebody, you know what? This is my situation. I might look like I have the perfect life, but I'm miserable. I think of suicide. I'm depressed. I, I can't pull myself out of bed in the morning. I wish I could. I just can't. I don't know how. If, if we could talk like that, why does nobody post that on Facebook? And people post on Facebook, bad day, bad back, can't get out of bed, ankle hurts. You know, you don't see people saying, totally depressed, thought of suicide last night. You never see that. You know, so we don't want to hear that or the person who thinks it thinks it'll be judged. So I really, really honor what you're saying here, that these are true afflictions, they're true diseases, they, they need to be honored by our friends, our family, our colleagues, our, our acquaintances, and mostly the medical world, right? And you are in that world. Well, you know, I think, unfortunately, as society, we tend to label people <clears throat> as either good or bad, successful or unsuccessful, crazy or sane, for example. And we, we like to label people. And usually, you know, nine times out of ten, it's unfairly. And, um, you know, you hit upon a very good point. And uh, the isolation issue, and I think that there is a very strong correlation between depression and isolation. Uh, and I'm going to speak very candidly from my own history of depression, because I went through severe depression in the past, way before issues occurred uh, that resulted in my medical license uh, being lost. But, you know, I think that depression and isolation are hand-in-hand, and I think that uh, part of it is, again, being afraid to get, not wanting to socialize with other people, not wanting to reach out to other people, or feeling that, you you know, that uh, life isn't worth it, not wanting to even get out of bed in the morning. You know, just kind of being paralyzed in a way. uh, And a lot of people, unless you've experienced depression, on a personal level, either in yourself or in somebody who's close to you, a lot of people don't understand how severe it can be and that it could lead to uh, terrible things, you know, terrible things. You know, um, for example, Robin Williams a few months ago suffered from severe depression. And it's a good example and a way, a very sad example of how it can result uh, in in suicide or just in um, in actions that are very self-destructive or destructive of you know people around you, and uh, it's it is something that until as a society we realize that um, you know that this is something that we need to we need to reach out to other people that it's something that we need to get a handle on and not judge people as being crazy if they come forward or people who just make bad choices in life. You know, um, a lot of people don't realize that when you're at a stage mentally and emotionally of severe depression, that you, the, the choice factor is really gone. Um, it's not that you're making, bad, you're making bad choices, but you don't really have the control over those choices that people may have if they're not suffering from, from severe depression. And uh, so it's just not a matter of saying, well, he could have done this or she could have done that differently. You know, yes, that's true. We are, we're basically some of very often of our actions and choices in life. However, I think there needs to be a better understanding of the fact that people who suffer from severe mental illness or from addictions, which is another illness, uh, really tend to lose con- that, in quotes, control over their choices or their actions. And um, I think a lot, and that judgmentalism, I think, needs to really be stripped our society and in and, and some way, shape, or form, we need to really address that judgmentalism because that really makes it hard for people to 
bear their souls to um, to come forward and ask for help. Uh, it's, it's a fear factor that we uh, produce in people. You know, in society, we, we live in an addicted society, Lindsay, and a lot of that is something that we create. We create stress in people. We create anxiety problems, and we create uh, the climate and culture for addiction to flourish. And then what we tend to do is put people on the back shelf who wind up suffering from this, from the results of all of this, and not really wanting to address and to sweep it under the carpet. And unfortunately, until somebody famous passes away uh, from an overdose, then we may talk about it on the air for you know, a day or two and to say how sad this is and we need to do something about it, and then it always winds up in the trash can again and never really addressed on a meaningful level. Right. And I think you're right. When when that story came out with Robin Williams, they were, you know, and, and probably will go on forever showing clips and and things. But, you know, one of the things people got a big kick out of is that he had gone to rehab. So he did have a drinking problem and and he made jokes, you know, well, rehab went really well. Like, at least I got to do it in wine country, you know, and and, and that was just a big hoot. And people just love that line and that he made fun of it. And and that's okay. I mean, I'm all about humor. I'm the first to use humor with what I've been through and what people go through. But we want it to be funny and we want it to be easy and good. And we want people to get a kick out of their own story and know that they're back on their feet. And But, you know, the truth is that that's a good example. There's so many others, so many others. But, but that, I mean, A, Robin Williams is certainly not so long ago and B, I think you know the, the impact of the world is is very great, and um, I I think that that really, if we really take a look, like scientifically, his depression led to death, and so might we consider that depression really is a disease? Might we consider that that cancer is, and you know, diabetes can kill, and heart conditions can kill, and depression can kill you know when we, we make statements like that and then people kind of push that away oh, wait 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 diabetes yes heart yes depression no 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 there's pills and doctors no you know and so we but people are dead you know suicide happens because depression is dark and when you talked about decision making i thought that was extremely key very very valid that you said, you know, there's isolation, then we try to make decisions, but we don't necessarily make the right ones or we don't know what to make. I talk to my clients all the time about dark glasses. That's the way I'm very visual. So I refer to it as, you know, should you put on rosy colored glasses and not see what's actually real and think everything's going to go perfect? No. But we ideally should walk with some clarity in our view to make good choices. And when you have depression, I try to explain to people, I really try to help couples understand this or parents and their children or even about, you know, people and their parents, that there is a pair of dark glasses they're wearing. And I use that example and I said, if you were to go to the fridge at night and try to get a food and you left all the lights off and wore your dark glasses, guaranteed, you'd bump into a few walls and land with the wrong food when you got back up the stairs. Like, you can't see too clearly and the lights are off, so nine times out of ten, you get hurt along the way and don't end up with what you want. And I believe that that is truly the state 
that you're left in. Be And again, this goes for depression. It could even be anxiety. It could be panic. It could be PTSD and addiction. It's all these things that leave us in darkness. We're not quite sure how to navigate out. But God forbid we should tell someone we're going to get a lecture on either pull yourself together. Do you know what you have to lose? Have you not counted your blessings lately? You know? And right. You know, I think we you know, society has this pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality. Yes. And I think that that doesn't work. And, you know, really, depression is disease. Chemical imbalance. I think that's been well documented. Uh, people who, um, you know, uh, are, uh, have the severe depression and on medication, the medication does work. You know, the serotonin drugs do work because there are serotonin and dopamine imbalances in the brain. And I, that's been well documented. Um, most addictions... You know the, why they why we become addicted. It's a chemical issue with addiction. Um, that, for example, if you take a hit of something, you know that it'll increase your dopamine levels in your brain, and that actually is something that we become addicted to more and more of is that dopamine hit. So whatever activity that we do, whether it's whether it's uh, drinking or using cocaine or make you know making love or just you know things that are that will give you a hit. You know, that it becomes, unfortunately, it becomes compulsive behavior. And that's really what addiction is. It's compulsive behavior over which we have little to no control. Right. That's, it's very true. And, and, and what people also don't realize is people like to walk around and, and this is just huge. Oh my gosh. I see this in my practice all the time. So the judgment on meds, you know, like get off meds, why on meds? And I'm not saying there, there are alternative ways as well, but like, Dr. Farber is saying, you know, you're talking about dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, adrenaline. These are all components that can make up an antidepressant, and they may be needed and they may not. For example, Wellbutrin doesn't have a serotonin component, so but that might be enough for you. And then there's side effects, and there may not be. So there, so it needs to be customized, and you need to be talking about it with a specialist who can understand. How, how long has it been? How bad do you feel? Are suicide thoughts part of it? Um, your family members need to get on board. And, and you know, there's a, a lot to understand as well as the integrative health pieces, which we're going to go into next week a little more. So I really want to assure you we're not going to miss that. But, you know, what is integrative health? What is mindfulness? What is the ability to look at alternative ways and meditation and, and a lot of things that Dr. Farber has certainly involved himself in and, and I run my practice the same that these things can be blended. So um, I, I do believe we're getting toward the end here. Uh, Dr. Farber, any key lines? I'm gonna, I have some logistics I do to close the show and time sure does fly and I'm so thankful we booked two shows and because there's so much more to say, but um, for this show, any any statement that you would want to say as as you know your kind of closing statement? Yeah, I, I, first of all, I appreciate you having me on the show because this is a topic that affects all of us. You know, either ourselves personally, individually, or somebody we love or a close friend, and so it's something that I think has an impact on all of this. And I wanted to say that the reason I'm on, I know I wanted to do this show, is that it's not to sell books, uh, although I hope people read my book. Um, it's my attempt to reach out to other people who are suffering from the same problems that I suffer from and maybe living their lives on a day-to-day basis, struggling with, this, with the same issues. And I think it's important to reach out to people in a variety of ways. And this is 
my way of doing that. And I, again, I appreciate your having me on the show uh, to talk about all these things. Well, I'm really glad you're on, and um, and and it's true. Dr. Farber was extremely humble about the books. I was asking him any special any special way you want to market this, and he was like, you know, it's not about the books. It's about the message. It's about the wellness. It's about the you know reframe. We need people to to be able to look from a different perspective and really start to open their minds so that we can have a shift. And so I greatly appreciate that. And. So I'd like to I'd like to do a little recap myself. Today we did talk about addiction. We're talking about stigma. We're talking about depression, um, even sexual abuse, because so many of you have been through that. Low self-esteem, though, is something I think we all face in many ways for different reasons. And our inability as a culture to even want to hear about it. We don't really want to hear about it, including large insurance companies. We talked about overachieving, being a way to compensate or cope with depression. And that can be very dangerous. And Dr. Stephen Farber will be returning for part two next week, where we can talk more about ways to remove the stigma, ways to help others, a potential movement toward that paradigm shift we're talking about, and a lot of creative thinking around alternative medicine or maybe in conjunction Eastern-Western. But there's a way to start looking at this and getting very real. So I, I still have a few more things to do, but I want to thank you, Steve, again for being on. I, I, I just can't tell you how much this is a vital matter. So thank you for that. And I am going to tell you Lindsay's life secret. Depression is not your fault. It's not something to hide. We as a society must open our hearts, our minds, and even our communication to this subject. Both addiction and depression our diseases. We must address the actions to help people. Of course, you might turn to addiction. That makes sense to numb your depression. It's painful. Why is everyone so upset that anyone suffers from depression? Or why is so anyone upset that someone suffers from addiction? I mean, it's not healthy or good for our loved ones, but clinical depression has nothing to do with whether you have a great life. And addiction doesn't mean you're indulgent or foolish or lazy <laughs> These are true afflictions, and believe me, if you're suffering from them, you're in a lot of pain. So this is no fun for the people suffering from them. They're not making bad decisions. They are just isolated and in the dark and don't know their way out. If you do suffer from these, you are not, you are not cured. Please hear me when I say, I don't care if you go through rehab or learn anything. You're not cured, but you can be enlightened. You can do work. There's treatment options. You can get well. You can stay strong. And you will always do the work. I myself have suffered depression and addiction. And it means I will always do the work. And that is why I wrote to Dr. Stephen Farber. I wanted to get support, to hear wisdom. And I thank all of you for support and for choosing this show. This is critical that you listen. It's critical that you tune in next week. We've got some really great information. Please tune in for more depth in part two in the answers toward healing. I'm Lindsay Levinson. I'm your host here at Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. We've had Dr. Steve Farber, and I wish that you all have a strong and meaningful week. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. 
Please join Lindsay Levinson again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.